All right, it is the April 28th edition of the Come On Now LMA podcast. Uh, tonight, today, whatever. I want to start off with um, something that Michael Chiesa wrote on Instagram, and I think it's pertinent because I do not believe that he's the only fighter going through this uh, at the current time. So I want to read what he wrote and then discuss it a little bit. Um, so here's what uh, Kiesa had to, had to say. When are you going to fight again? That's a question many of us fighters are being asked regularly. On the heels of my biggest win to date, there's nothing I want more than to get back in the octagon and compete. Fighting in, in an empty arena feels almost advantageous to me after the time I spent on tough. Competing in that type of environment is not what I'm worried about. It's the pr- preparation that's holding me back gyms are closed training partners are scarce and coaches slash teammates are doing what's best to protect the health of their family all of which are things i empathize with 110 percent on top of that there's other problems behind the scenes that are better left unsaid i know many fighters are experiencing the same challenges and trying to put together a camp right now there's some people that have enough resources to make it happen right now but unfortunately uh, i'm not one of those people and so this is a, like he has to says, he's in a, an awkward position. He, he wants to fight, but because of the global pandemic, eh, he, uh, he can't put together a camp that's sufficient eh, and anything else would leave him if he does prepare because of the situation is he, he's in, which I'm going to uh, guess is because of where his camp's located, maybe, and the amount of training partners he has access to. Um, the camp would be insufficient to prepare for a fight at the level he wants to compete at. Um, I, I, I understand this thinking. Um, it's a bad situation to be in, and someone like Kiesa, who's in a spot that um, a loss could really affect him and a win could affect him positively and a loss could affect him negatively in the rankings and in the vision. He, he can't um, afford to, to roll the dice on a, on a crappy camp or ill preparation for a, a fight at the, at the top of the, uh, the weight division. So I believe he's doing the right thing. Um, I'm, but he, he maybe he's able to do that financially. Um, can wait until he can get a good camp and and prepare for for the top of the division. So he's in a good spot. But what about the folks who are not in that kind of spot, who understand that their camps are going to be limited, uh, that they're not going to be able to prepare properly, that they're just going to go into that fight with maybe you know working out at home uh doing cardio work maybe some a little grappling when they can maybe some mitt work when they can but they're not really going to get a full camp in to prepare for the these fights that are coming up in Jacksonville and but they have to take the fights because financially they need to fight so is that is that ideal? It's, it's it's far from ideal, but this is a situation the UFC puts fo- folks in who are not in um, 
who are not veteran fighters, who have not worked their way up to um, the top pay scales. And now they're in a risky spot. They're ill-prepared and they're taking fights that they shouldn't probably take, but they need to take for the money. So um, that's just something to be aware of. And again, this all relates to the pay structure, really. Uh, so if, if somebody's making 10 and 10 or, or 12 and 12, 15, 15, they, they almost have to take this fight, these fights in, in Jacksonville uh, because they're not in a financial spot where they can turn a fight down. Uh, so it's so you go in, you get a half-assed camp. Um, if you're a fighter who's on a losing streak, maybe that half-assed camp cost you your 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 UFC contract. So it's a very ugly and difficult spot to be in. I don't envy anyone who is in that spot. Um, I'm I I wish these fighters would be able to turn down these fights based on preparation, but they are not. Some of them are not going to be able to, and I I really don't blame them. I blame the UFC pay structure for this. Um, the way the pay uh, revenue is split is terrible. It needs to be fixed. And until it is, this is kind of the situation you're going to be in. Fighters forced to take fights under less than ideal circumstances just for the paycheck. And that's that's not a bug. That's what the UFC wants. They want fighters who need to fight. Uh, it makes it easier for them to to make the fights, to book the fights, to keep the organization running. Um, when When someone needs that money, they need that money. And they're not going to turn down a fight even if they're ill-prepared, injured, or whatever the case may be. So, um, Kies is in, uh, I'm glad he spoke up about this. And hopefully other fighters will also do the same. Um, but the root cause of this, I mean, we know that the pandemic is, is the root cause of why fighters can't train. But... The UFC's pay structure is the reason why some fighters have to take these fights under less than ideal circumstances. So, something to think about while these next three cards coming up in Jacksonville um, take place. Uh, if you see less than stellar performances, understand why none of these fighters could prepare properly for, for these events. I want to talk a little bit about Dana White's I'm not going to tell the media anything speech that he recently used when he spoke to Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports. Um, so whenever he's been pushed about the safety program the UFC has is going to have in place for UFC 249 and the other two fight cards that are going to take place in Jacksonville in May, he's said more or less don't worry about it. I'm not going to tell the media or the fans anything because they don't need to know. And what strikes me as odd about this is that these this speech has been repeated to Brett Akimoto of ESPN, Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports, and, and Barstool Sports as well. So I don't think 
I mean, Ioli and, and Akimoto surely think of themselves as as journalists and as the media. Um, not so sure about the barstool situation, so leave that one out of it. But if White's not going to tell the media anything, why does he speak to Akimoto and and Ioli and grant them these these Instagram live interviews? Both of those men have been at this job for a long time, um, but they're media. So does White not consider them media? Does he consider them quote-unquote friends of the UFC? And if that's the case, how does that reflect on on them? I think it's, it's a bad spot. Um, White's speeches of how he won't talk to the media, but he'll talk to these two um maybe paints a, a a a difficult picture for them to to wiggle their way out of um you know ESPN is the partner of the UFC so that's already a difficult situation for those folks um and i don't know why white's implication then is that is he saying that these guys aren't media? I don't think that's what he wants is saying exactly, but it's what he's implying that he'll talk to these two guys, but not to anybody else. So it's it's very weird, very weird, and I don't understand it. Um, I I don't think White knows what he's saying when he does these things. It's just. A stupid kind of situation. Um, it puts Akimoto and Ioli and others in an awkward spot. Um, but, I mean, if you're going to talk to some of the media, you should talk to all of the media and and don't hide behind this facade that the media doesn't deserve to hear from you on, on certain things. Um, if you're going to speak to someone like Akimoto or Ioli, you should also speak to someone like Luke Thomas, or Josh Gross, uh, or Ben Folks, or Stephen Morocco, folks that are gonna maybe push push the issue a little harder than than the quote unquote friendly media will do. Um, it, it 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 makes White look kind of uh, one he's playing favorites, and two he might be. Um, Afraid might be the wrong word, but reluctant. But why is he reluctant to speak to those other people? Because he knows they're they're not they're not afraid to ask the tough questions or push the push the issue when it needs to be pushed and try and get an answer when an answer is needed. So instead, he'll go to the folks that'll push a little, but not keep digging until. Um, they get an answer that is appropriate. So I just think if uh, if you're going to speak to one or two folks in the media, you need to speak to everyone in the media. And otherwise, you you look you look like you're playing favorites, and it, there's a reason why you are playing favorites. Um, an odd, a very odd take from someone who likes to say 
uh, likes to act as, as tough as White likes to act. Um, if you're afraid to talk to somebody in the media for whatever reason, it, it's a bad look. If you haven't read um, the interview Robert Whitaker gave to the Daily Telegraph, uh, I suggest you do so. Um, the title of the story is UFC 2020, Robert Whitaker Breaks Silence on UFC Absence. Uh, and it's a very revealing story. Um, gives you a, a, another good look into Robert Whitaker's mindset and what he's been doing and where he's been and why he's taken this long break. Um, it's, uh, it's a very good story, very good story. And I, I think everyone involved with uh, MMA should read it. Um, fighters, fans, um, it gives a clue into uh, his world. And this is not the first time that Whitaker has, has done something like this, spoken openly. Um, I wish more people would do this in the MMA world. Um, I mean, there's no doubt how how tough these folks are who compete in MMA. Um, if they have issues, I, and I think that's a lot of the a lot of the problems that we see in MMA are related to what Whitaker went through here. You just got to keep pushing. You gotta you gotta suck it up. You gotta shut everything else out to compete. Anything other than the fight game can't be can't be part of your world while you're in competition or preparing for competition and um, in the UFC you're you're almost always preparing for competition because you don't really know when the fight's going to come and when the offer's going to come and you you have to be ready to accept it so he he said that um, he just was burned out he was training, you know, seven days a week. He wasn't taking breaks. Um, he says in the interview he was missing birthdays, weddings, and funerals just to train. Um, and it was it was affecting his home life, affecting him mentally, and it got to, he got to a breaking point. Um, and at, when he reached that point, he called his team and and told them that he was gonna. Pause everything um, training related until he he worked out how he could stop feeling the way he was feeling, um, and that's commendable. And I don't think enough fighters take that time. Um, uh, it took it took Whitaker a long time to get to that point. Um, hopefully, some fighters that are in that kind of same mindset um, follow in this path and and take breaks when they need to. Your 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 mind, your body, you know these these guys know when they're not at their best, but they're trained mentally and physically to just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. But you never, then you never really recover um, mentally or physically. You just kind of push it down, ignore it, uh, ignore the aches and pains, ignore the 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 doubts in your head, um, and that's not ideal. It's not ideal for, for anyone. And Whitaker said he felt this way when he fought out of Sonya. Um, and you know, maybe that had something to do with the outcome of that fight. Maybe, maybe not. Um, we don't know, but I would implore everyone to read this, this story, um, take it to heart. Uh, 
um, especially fighters, take it to heart. And, you know, if you're not feeling up, up to it, uh, maybe you, you take a breather, you take a break, uh, recover mentally, recover physically, if you can, financially. I know that's a, a, a burden for, for many UFC fighters. But take that break, recover, get get your mind right, get your body right, and then get back into it. It doesn't have to be, you know, it, it could be long as, as long as Whitaker took, or it could be, you know, just a couple days, just a couple weeks maybe. You know, you spend some time with the family. Um, you get everything back to normal. You start feeling a little better. Ease back into it and and then hit it hard. But know your limits. Um, react to those limits. Don't, don't strain yourself uh, mentally or physically. But most of all, most of all, don't don't strain yourself mentally and put undue pressure on you, your family, people that you care about just to prepare for this fight. Um, you know, everyone knows what when they're reaching a breaking point. Can't it can't be ignored. It'll only get worse if it's ignored and, and pushed down and pushed away. So um, Whitaker did a real commendable thing here. Uh, the break was the right thing for him. He didn't have to speak openly about it, but he did. And hopefully uh, everyone related to the uh, MMA world will will listen to what Whitaker had to say, respect what he had to say, and maybe maybe take his advice and, and follow in what he did when, when they're not feeling um, up to snuff. So a real admirable thing here from, from Robert Whitaker. Um, just uh, seems like a all-around good dude and someone who you know could be a, a great model for for other fighters and fans of the sport so kudos to him for for speaking up again on on all of these things that are often ignored in mixed martial arts another recent interview that I would um, tell people to read is Amanda Nunez talking to Brian Campbell of CBS Sports. Um, uh, it's on CBS Sports, and the uh, title is Two Division Champ Amanda Nunez Brushes Off Marketability Comments, Worries More About Helping LGBTQ Community. Um, so it addresses the alleged comments that, um, I mean, not the alleged comments, the comments were made. Uh, allegedly that Anunez is not a mar- quote-unquote marketable fighter. Um, and she she spoke about that in the interview. Um, and she says here, if I'm not marketable, I'm not marketable. And I'm just going to keep, keep fighting. But I'm a fighter. I'm the best on the planet. This is my job. I honestly feel like people don't understand that and only think about TV and jewelry and all the things outside. That is part of the game, but if I do my job and fight and get my paycheck, I get to enjoy my life. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the thing that Nunes is not marketable. There's a difference between being not marketable and not marketed, um, and we know the UFC likes to market the UFC above its fighters. There's no real reason why it, um, it couldn't push Amanda Nunes a little more, um, or any fighter, really, for that matter. No one's really getting a big bump 
Um, she's got a Modelo deal. Um, so, I mean, that's, I mean, really, that's the only thing that fighters you seem to have these days. Um, but she's a two-division champ. Um, she's running through people. She's she's beaten, you know, the best of the best in the in the women's divisions. She's uh, probably, you know, she's definitely one of the best that best women who have ever fought. So there's no reason to think that she's not marketable. She is, but um, I don't know if the UFC is reluctant to to market her properly or they only know how to market a certain type of fighter and we all know what kind of fighters the UFC wants to market um, and wants to push. We'll, we'll never forget the uh, how how hard they tried to push uh, Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt on us and um, it was just sloppy and heavy-handed and it, it did not work and so that's there was no even real reason to push them as as top level fighters when they were pushed as such but again we know the UFC seems to be stuck in this one rut of this is the kind of fighter we'll promote and this is the kind of fighter we won't promote but uh, um, Nunes said that that all really doesn't matter to her which um, good for her um, she fights, she gets paid. If someone wants to give her a deal, you know, look at it and see if it works. If it works, accept it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but she says here um, that the biggest thing that really got her and that she likes doing is when she hears from folks in the LGBTQ community, um, and especially the young folks who are, are maybe having some difficulty um, living openly and and it says here live open and proud um, so maybe if she can help folks in that manner that's great that's fantastic because even though things are improving um, from the from the past of they've gotten a lot better it's still not you know they there's still that fear and there's still that inequality and and the whole weirdness that people just can't be people. Um, and here it also says that the, one, the things that had the biggest impact on her were, were getting the letters from from parents. And, and this is what she said. Um, Our daughter just talked to us, and she was inspired by you and Nina, and now we're talking to her about it. That was huge to us, and in that moment we decided to keep doing this and put ourselves out there. I know we have a lot of young girls and young boys who struggle to the father and the mother, even adults are still struggling to really become who they really be. Um, if I'm able to help by putting my life out there so they can see that I'm not afraid of anything and nothing can stop me and nothing is bringing me down, I feel like I'm going to help people like that. Uh, my relationship with Nina is like, let's do this to change the planet and make things happen. If we tweet out and openly live our lives, a lot of people are going to change their lives. So that's a great attitude. Um, it's a respectable attitude. And I would say that that is more commendable than and more valuable than getting a marketing deal with some, you know, some sports drink or whatever. Um, if if Amanda and Nina can 
affect people and you know and change lives and improves people's perception of themselves and make them feel better about themselves and and that that's a great thing that's i um that's worth more than than any than any amount of money i think um so i will hope that uh i mean i hope nunez gets the credit she deserves as a fighter and as someone who is working for her community um but if she if 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 she only gets the credit and helps out in the lgbtq community um i th i think that's much more valuable than than hawking some kind of product um it's really making a difference which which depending on what kind of person you are you know that's that'll outweigh any stack of money any day of the week so read that interview um and you know again a, a very good thing for, for Amanda Nunes is talking about here and a commendable stance and I hope uh, hope the best for her in her goals and in helping out the community there so real a very nice job um, on the interview here getting her to open up a little bit about what she sees value in um, outside the cage the last thing I want to talk about is um, Dan Hooker made a comment, uh, and I don't know if it was serious or not, but I'm going to kind of take it as serious. Um, he said he was never a fight, someone who taps the strikes, and this was in relation to a possible bout against Charles Oliveira. Um, so he said, I'll never fight anyone who taps the strikes, and then in the same, I think in the same string, he wrote take your ass whooping like a man i don't i don't understand this thinking that to tap is weak um if you know if you're in a fight and you know you're gonna lose um and 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 a fighter can tell that when they're in a bad spot if you know that it's not going to go your way not your night what what's wrong with with tapping to to strikes or tapping to a submission what's wrong with that um you know if you tap to a submission you save the limb you save an injury if you tap to strikes you save um some you know you save a brain injury it's it's less if you just cheat, just keep getting teed off on and you know it's it's done and you can't defend yourself properly or you know, it's just not your night there. Why, why keep fighting just out of out of pride? It's kind of silly. Um, you get paid the same whether you get knocked out or whether you tap the strikes. Um, I don't see anything really wrong with tapping the strikes in a, in a when you're in a position where you need you can save yourself some damage, um, recover quicker, get back to action quicker. It's if it if I don't think pride should should have any impact on that um i know that you know there's some certain group of knuckleheaded fans who 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 expect these guys and gals to go out on their shield but i don't i don't buy that if, if someone wants to do that that's that's their business and also if someone wants to tap out to strikes or a submission 
Um, that's their business as well. But to try and uh, d diminish them and try and make fun of them and, and try and act like they're weak because they decided that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm done with this. It's, I'm not going to take any more damage. I'm going to, I'm going to recover, get on with my life. It, it's, it's stupid to try and make someone feel lesser for that. Um, so I would, I'm hoping that Hooker is not 100% serious about this. Um, if he is, it's a stupid comment. And if you are one of the fans who who expects fighters no matter what to just stand there and get knocked out when they know it's not going to go their way that's also stupid um but if you're someone who if you're a fighter who wants to keep at it and 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 you know you're never going to tap the strikes that's your right but again it's also your right to to uh, to tap to strikes or to tap to a submission hold if if you figure it's beneficial to you um, you know physically and mentally so let's not try and make people feel guilty for trying to preserve their limbs or their brain um, just kind of a, a dumb thing to dumb thing to uh, to act like they owe you that. They don't. They don't know you. Uh, they don't know you anything except their effort. And if it's a less than stellar night, it's a less than stellar night. They'll recover, and they'll get back to business. So, silly, um, and uh, I, I'm not happy really about ending on a on a shitty note like that after the after what I discussed about Whitaker and Nunes. But that's kind of where we're at right now. So, I will be back tomorrow. Uh, to discuss some more things, and uh, we'll see what tomorrow brings. Uh, until then, stay safe.